Welcome to Rheumatology Republic In Conversation podcast. I'm Wendy John. Today, our guests are Associate Professor Alberta Hoy, Head of the Monash Lupus Clinic and Chair of the Australian Lupus Registry. And with her is Dr. Suda Raghunath, who is, has almost finished a PhD in the field of cognitive dysfunction in lupus. Welcome. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us, Wendy. So what was it about the field of cognitive dysfunction that first attracted you to this field of study? When I was embarking on my PhD and thinking about planning and what type of topic, I definitely wanted to do it in the field of lupus because we do have such a big lupus clinic at Monash and through my training, being exposed to lupus, I found it to be a really interesting disorder and looking after young women with lupus, you really see how much of a catastrophic impact it can have on their lives and there's just so many different aspects of it. And Alberta brought up cognitive dysfunction as an area that hadn't really been well studied and well understood. And it was interesting to me that at that point, towards the end of my training, I never really thought of cognitive dysfunction as even being part of lupus. So that shows how the average rheumatology trainee at that point wouldn't really think of that as being something that happens in lupus. But then when I started looking into it, it's remarkably common. And interacting with these patients, I didn't realize that so many of them were experiencing cognitive dysfunction. It's not something that we routinely even ask about. So it really is something that's poorly understood even by people who commonly look after patients with lupus. What sort of cognitive dysfunction are we talking about? So in terms of cognitive dysfunction, I know it's a bit of a mouthful, but basically that's a kind of catch-all phrase for any form of thinking or memory problem in any cognitive domain. So that can include things like concentration, processing, speed, memory, all types of domains. But specifically in people with lupus, there are... A number of domains that can be affected. The studies have found quite conflicting results, but in our study specifically, when we looked to review the studies that have been done previously, it was quite variable the domains that were affected. And the main reason that is is that the methodology is incredibly variable across different domains. And I guess also when we say cognitive dysfunction in lupus, it's really not a homogenous condition or disorder. It's really heterogeneous because there's lots of different things that can contribute. And I feel like there's lots of different phenotypes within this patient group. And so it's not surprising that we're not seeing one homogenous cognitive disorder where something like, say, Alzheimer's dementia or other conditions that can affect thinking and memory might have really clear findings in this patient group. Not surprising that there's lots of different areas affected. But the most commonly affected cognitive domains on our review of uh, papers from the last 20 years or so were attention, working memory, and executive function. Whereas performance on tests of language, reasoning, and motor speed seem to be less affected. Did your research confirm what you'd found in the literature reviews around attention, working memory, et cetera, as being the main features? Yeah, so, um, yeah, in fact, our research has um, confirmed um, a lot of the findings in the existing literature, but really highlights that the spectrum and the variability in these patients and the severity can also vary a great deal within the whole populations as well. Alberta, is that different to the kind of cognitive challenges that other inflammatory diseases create? The other inflammatory diseases are not well understood. We often, um, as clinicians, um, use the word brain fog to describe patients who are slightly forgetful. But even though this phenomenon is described, is the, the condition itself is not very well studied. 
And certainly, I don't think there are many studies that uh, look at cognitive performance in the same extent that we did. So a part of the problem that you found is that it hasn't necessarily been studied thoroughly because the language around what to look for hasn't necessarily been dissected well enough. Yeah, that's right. So often you actually have the two extremes. One is a gross simplification of the, the problem. And then in the scientific literature, it can be very overwhelming and very complex. And so when we delve into this um, research, we thought that this is a perfect research topic because firstly, it's common and as clinicians, we see a lot. And secondly, there's a lot of misconceptions in there. And then to address it with good research questions, we really need to go into the specific. And that's why I think Suda has done such a good job in her PhD in delving in the different aspect of from definitions to the right tests to the right interpretations of the test to try to um, shed some lights into this common problem. I think one of the other reasons why this hasn't been looked at as much is it's just that from a practical point of view when it comes to lupus, there are so many different organ systems that are involved uh, with many of those being more apparent or visible, such as rashes and lupus nephritis, and also being not only more visible but more concerning to clinicians. But when it comes to things that distress patients, there's been research done that symptoms of cognitive dysfunction are some of the most distressing parts of lupus for the patients. And in terms of the impact, there's actually research showing that patients with cognitive dysfunction within the lupus population have significantly lower rates of employment, quality of life, etc. So I think it's one of those areas that's just a big area of need that's really underdone. And I was actually surprised when, so I did all of the neuropsychiatric assessments myself. We've had really fantastic collaborators from the School of Neuropsychology at Monash who taught me how to do the, the neuropsych assessments and then subsequently was also seeing them as their rheumatologist for their lupus clinic visits as well. And it's interesting that some of these patients I actually had known prior to the study and had looked after before, and I had felt that at a glance, my general kind of gestalt was that they were cognitively pretty intact and pretty with it. And then I was really surprised to find that some of these quite young women, even in their 20s and 30s, then performed quite poorly on cognitively cognitive tests. And then it made me think back to how I was looking after them clinically and made me worry, oh, how are they remembering to take their medications? I'm not surprised this one's been poor with their appointment attendance and maybe I should be providing more written information for this one after I did the cognitive test because my general clinical impression prior to this, even though I'd you know done quite a bit of general medicine, et cetera, seen a lot of patients with cognitive impairment, my clinical impression of these women was that they were actually pretty intact cognitively and then when I did the assessments after that, it made me rethink how you address that in terms of how that would impact on your general clinical care as well. So that really was quite eye-opening for me um, with some of these patients having working busy jobs, having you know higher education degrees, looking after families, all of these things, and then having quite significant deficits that they've somehow find other, found other ways to overcome in their everyday lives was quite surprising. Also, our neuropsychology colleagues, when we use the word brain fog and uh, the fact that they hadn't heard of cognitive dysfunction lupus before and the fact that these patients are quite young, they were expecting quite mild cognitive deficits, which many of the patients did have deficits on the milder side, but a lot of them were quite significant. They were surprised by some of the test results. They said, this is not what we would deem, quote unquote, brain fog from a neuropsychology perspective. This is quite significant impairment. This is interesting. I'm finding a link between what you're saying and a podcast we did last year on 
polymyalgia rheumatica by uh, was Dr. Jessica Leong and Dr. Georgia Harris. And they were talking about how what the patients prioritised as actually really, really important was different to what their doctors had prioritised. So talking when you're talking about these uh, this cognitive dysfunction is having a significant impact on their life and yet other symptoms which are perhaps more easily identified by the rheumatologist are taking the priority. Definitely. Yeah, and this is probably even more complicated than that because what the patient report in terms of their own symptoms may or may not correlate with um, their cognitive performance when we objectively test them. So they may not be aware themselves how... That's right, yeah. yeah. And in fact, this is one of the um, findings in uh, upcoming publications that we're doing, uh, that there is a significant discordance um, between what patients experience, the symptoms that they report, and what we measure when we um, objectively measure their cognitive performance. This is potentially going to have some positive implications for how doctors engage and treat patients. Yeah, no, definitely. And and in fact, um, one of our other publications about uh, the importance of screening uh, highlights this. And we actually just utilise a very commonly available tool uh, called the MOCA. It's a questionnaire that you can now, uh, it's widely, freely available. Um, and it, you can use that for a range of uh, conditions that can affect cognition. So most commonly used is in the geriatric populations. Um, but we util- uh, looked at the, <clears throat> the utility of MOCA in the lupus population and found that to be a very useful screening test. And so that's something very um, simple that clinician can do at, um, you know, during consultations that sort of start the discussions about what the patient experience and whether they have any uh, objective um, abnormalities. As Alberta mentioned, the screening is really important because one of the other barriers to detecting this condition and one of the reasons why it is so underdetected is that formal neuropsychological testing is time-consuming, expensive, there's limited access to it. So therefore, having a screening test is a really important part of identifying patients, not only for research purposes, but also from a clinical point of view, especially something that's simple and quick and free like the MOCA. So that's a really important step in improving our understanding and research in this area, as well as clinical care of patients at the moment with our limited knowledge, at least in being able to identifying them as a, as a first step. What sort of treatments are available when people are indicating they have more severe forms of cognitive dysfunction? Yeah, the management of this is complex. And as we alluded to, um, sometimes what the patients uh, complain and what they experience may be different. And so I think um, our um, research have shown that it's really important to engage a, a good neuropsychologist to sort of tease out what deficit they have and what the impact of their deficits on their life. Um, and what we also um, um, uh, found is that there are a number of um, things that can contribute to their um, uh, cognitive performance. So having lupus itself um, is often thought of top of the list um, and, and top, top of patients concerned. Um, but actually there are a number of comorbidities that are very, very common and that they, these comorbidities are managed in a, uh, in, in a different ways. And so, um, so the management step is really about early um, identifications, 
a thorough assessment. Um, and then we can talk about each individual component and how we can optimise things. Is there anything that can be done for various aspects of cognitive dysfunction? So there's no specific, I guess, treatment for quote-unquote cognitive dysfunction of lupus per se. As Alberto was saying, there's a lot of things that contribute. So the, the steps that you go through if you've got a lupus patient who you feel has cognitive dysfunction is getting them to see a neuropsychologist and getting their assessment just to not only get a thorough picture of what domains are involved, but also to get an idea of whether they think that there's anything else going on. So it's really important to exclude any other disorders of cognition that are potentially um, reversible or require alternative treatment. And that's where, when appropriate, neuroimaging, et cetera, may be considered. Um, it will be about treating their lupus as well as then treating contributors such as comorbid mood disorder, um, fibromyalgia, other things that could contribute would be really important. Um, particularly if there's a discordance between the cognitive symptoms and um, the actual cognitive function that's experienced, because a lot of patients might report symptoms. And as Alberta mentioned, one of our papers found that symptoms um, do not correlate at all with cognitive test performance. And so some of those patients who are quite symptomatic but actually have normal cognition on testing um, may be more likely to have mood disorders and fibromyalgia as contributors. Uh, because those correlate more strongly with symptoms than with actual cognitive test results, though they do also affect actual cognition, there's a greater impact on, on cognitive symptoms. So teasing apart that is really important. So it might be a it might be an indicator that there are some other conditions that need to be assessed as well. Yes. So we don't do know that lupus directly affects the brain in multiple ways as well. And so part of this could be a direct effect of the lupus. There have been some studies looking at whether there was a correlation between active lupus and cognitive dysfunction, and those have been really quite discrepant. And our own study on that found that um, the disease activity as measured by the sleet eye scale did not correlate um, with cognitive test performance, but um, the damage indice being the slick um, index uh, did actually correlate with cognitive dysfunction. So it was more about accumulated damage, which is associated with people with longer disease duration. Um, over time, that kind of phenotype of the patients who had long-standing lupus with significant damage that had cognitive dysfunction as opposed to the ones that were, had significant activity. And that was the same whether we looked at it um, cross-sectionally or um, over time. And, and this, this is a really important observation because sometimes people link um, cognitive dysfunctions to active disease and inappropriately using a lot of uh, extra treatment for the lupus like the corticosteroid or immunosuppressants. But where um, what um, Suda is um, suggesting is that what we found is that if lupus um, or in, in a situation where lupus uh, contribute to the cognitive dysfunction, it's actually a cumulative injury that they've had. And so it's really about uh, make, uh, giving the patients good control of the disease overall in preventing this from happening rather than giving, making any uh, particular change at the time when they complain about the symptoms. One of the reasons why there are currently no evidence-based pharmacotherapy options for cognitive dysfunction in lupus is because it hasn't been included as one of the manifestations that's been studied as an outcome measure. Why is that? I think it's a, it's a combination of a lack of 
knowledge previously that this was a big part of lupus and an important thing to be looked at, particularly given the impact on patients, but also because it's not quick and easy to measure. The neuropsychology assessments requiring quite a bit of time, effort, money uh, means that they haven't been included as part of the outcome measures. And that's why having a screening test and having easier ways to measure cognitive dysfunction in lupus is really important so that it can be included in clinical trials. And, and that there has been a bit of a shift more recently because we have noticed um, that there have been clinical trials more recently that have included cognitive dysfunction measures where historically that was never the case for the um, previous trials of immunosuppressants in lupus. But the other thing is it might be that we need to go down alternative pathways rather than the traditional immunosuppression pathway when it comes to treating uh, cognitive dysfunction with pharmacotherapy. There has been a randomized control trial of memantine, which is an NMDA receptor antagonist traditionally used to treat Alzheimer's disease uh, in uh, lupus patients. And that actually showed negative results. And that's the only um, randomized control trial that's really been done on cognitive dysfunction in lupus. So potentially there are other means of modifying cognitive dysfunction. And when it comes to other cognitive disorders, there are a lot of different pathways that are being looked at that might also apply to lupus. Alberta, as head of the Monash Lupus Clinic, has this informed any changes? We certainly will be looking at putting in that screening test for our patients. Um, we do have a setup where we review the patient once a year for some of these um, uh, important preventative um, health strategies. And so um, incorporating the marker test in our screening visits makes sense to us. You know, I guess in a non-research-based clinic, for example, you can still use it um, when there's a, either a clinical suspicion from the clinician's point of view or when the patients bring this topic up and they are worried that they may uh, experience cognitive dysfunctions as a result of the disease. And it's very easy to administer it. And it, it could be a great conversation starter in, in how they deal with these, these symptoms. Suda, are you interested in doing more research in this field or are you going to give it a break for a bit after you finish your PhD? I guess from a practicality point of view, currently on maternity leave and planning to go overseas by mid-year. So probably be a little Excellent. bit of a break after the, after the PhD, but it's definitely an area that really requires a lot more research and there's a lot more that can be done to look into it further. Particularly, I guess my cognitive testing was all cross-sectional. So we have longitudinal clinical data on, the, on these lupus patients through the lupus registry, but it would be really good to get more information on how cognition changes over time. Another area that we had looked into but didn't end up embarking on through my PhD from a practicality point of view was novel neuroimaging. That can be really helpful in terms of getting more understanding of the pathophysiology of this condition, and particularly trying to break down different phenotypes. So ideally a bigger study, a longitudinal study, would be really good to just keep looking into this area in some more detail. Were there any other surprises or unexpected discoveries when you were doing your research? I think this lack of understanding from even the neuropsychologists were a little bit of a surprise. And, and um, so it was a, a two-way process, actually, as we learn more about how to assess patients and their cognitive dysfunctions. The neuropsychologists, it was very useful from their point of view as well that we explained to them that uh, in the individual patients, they don't just have one condition, they don't just have lupus, they have other comorbidity commonly can affect their cognitions. And so I, I thought that was a little bit of a surprise and useful collaborations. 
Suda, did you have anything to add? I guess I did expect that before going into this and reading more around the literature, et cetera, that there would be a correlation between disease activity and cognitive dysfunction. And I guess that also goes back to how we're measuring disease activity as well. So on one hand, it, it correlated really strongly with damage, and we do think that accumulated damage and controlling disease activity over time might be more important. It does make you think back on how important are these disease activity measures and what are we capturing and what are we not capturing? Because in clinic, often the approaches, if the sleet eye is looking really good, then this patient's doing well. And generally speaking, that probably is the case, but this is one of those aspects of lupus that you don't get captured by the sleet eye. And I think that there's also other aspects of lupus that are like that, but I think that's really important to take into account from a clinical perspective that the current disease activity measures don't capture all aspects of lupus that might be affecting the patient, and this is one of those. What sort of a response have you had from other rheumatologists when you've shared your findings? We hope we have actually um, shared some new insights in these conditions. And when we share our data in our rheumatology group at Monash, I think the actual prevalence, for example, was a surprise to them. I think a lot of the clinicians don't believe some earlier literature about the burden of the disease. Uh, but when we presented our data on the objective findings of how common this condition is, they were a little bit surprised, I think. And But that, I think, you know, very happy that we've done that, showing that it concur with other existing literature that this is a very common problem. Any final suggestions that you have for our audience who might be listening in? I guess one of the main take-home messages is that this is really common and it's something to incorporate into your practice when you're seeing people with lupus is even just to start from a practical point of view of asking them about whether they've noticed any problems with their thinking and memory and consider doing a mocker as a routine, say once a year screen as part of the other prevention type measures that you take for your lupus patients. And I guess the other, the other take-home is that if you do have patients with cognitive dysfunction to think about potential contributors other potential causes. I forgot to mention as well, from a treatment perspective, non-pharmacological treatment is also a really big part of cognitive dysfunction. As I mentioned, a lot of these patients have learned how to cope in various ways that surprised me to the point that I didn't think these patients really presented as having cognitive dysfunction just at a glance talking to them. However, seeing neuropsychology to get coping strategies and to get non-pharmacological treatment of the cognitive dysfunction is really important. So it's not just about diagnosis from that perspective, the neuropsychology. Our neuropsychology colleagues can also help us treat these patients, even though we don't yet have anything evidence-based from a pharmacotherapy point of view, that can make a big difference from how they cope from a day-to-day basis and the impact on their quality of life. Well, Dr. Sudha Raghunath and Associate Professor Alberta Hoy, thanks so much for joining us in conversation. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Andy. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Rheumatology Republic's In Conversation podcast. If you like what you've heard, head over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you find your podcasts and feel free to subscribe. Leave a review if you like. For all the latest news and views about rheumatology, go to rheuma.com.au and sign up for our newsletter. We love to keep you informed. Thanks for tuning in.